Hello. And welcome. It's, it's the, the Graveyard, Graveyard Girls. Girls. Welcome to our witch trial season. Yeah, and we've nearly finished the witch trial. I know. We've got this episode and then one more tomorrow. And we're done. I mean, it's kind of flown by, but also when it comes to, like, editing these, I'm like, oh. Yeah, I think the editing side, like, doing it seemed ages, but, like, the writing... You don't know. (laughs) No, but, I mean, in terms of, like, you know, like, when I waited for you, then, like, to send it over to me, and I'm like, I swear we did this ages ago. Like, it seemed ages in between. Yeah, I think, I don't know, because I have been away a few times as well it's like I know, I've had to like having fun going on holiday <laughs> no but then I'm like I have to edit and I'm like mm. oh and I think I'm glad it's coming to an end because it's like so much editing to do yeah it's four episodes a week which is a lot yeah. especially when we've had like today it's a big case yeah I think it's just the way it's fallen and we've had a lot of big episodes all in one week yeah so it's like instead of I don't know like two hours of recording it's been like five or six <laughs> yeah but like we said, uh, an episode or two ago that like we're changing the system a little bit. It's yeah, going to be a different slightly. layout. So I think our cases will be better, will be presented mm. better. Because especially in my recent ones, I'm like, I want it to be short so I don't have to edit a lot. But yeah. now I'm not I'm not going to be in that mind frame. I can like research and put all the detail in yeah. rather than just be like, that's not important. I don't need that. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's hard because we've got so many cases yeah. that we want to cover and so much stuff that you want to do. But once you start doing you can't half do it no. because you miss so much stuff out. And like with this, like there's still so much stuff we haven't covered. Yeah. But there was no way we were going to be able to put it all into one. No. And I think every so often we could like touch back in on this because like I do category categorise this as true crime a little bit mm. because... Well, it was a crime. Yeah. <laughs> what happened? It, it, essentially, yeah. That's why I do see it as true crime. But then again, it's not everyone's cup of tea. Yeah. It's a kind of a weird sort of like a miscarriage of justice sort yeah. of thing. Yeah. Um, and then also like a massive history sort of lesson mixed in with crime. Yeah. And some of them were genuine crimes and the rest of it is the crime that was committed by killing. Yes. These people, you effectively murdered them. Yeah. And it's just hearsay as well. You can't prove that any of this is real. Exactly, and I've kept a few aside as well for cases later because there's some that I, I was going to include in this and they would have been really good, but at the same time, they did commit other crimes. So I'm sort of like, I've got a good way of I can make separate episodes of them outside of the witch trials. There's just a hint of witchy bits to it. Yeah. So that's a few more cases sorted out for in the future mm. that I can touch on at a later date. Okay. But uh, yeah, in the meantime, for this episode it's a mammoth one it's a mammoth one well it's only a mammoth one there's lots it's lots of little trials and little bits put together okay and some of it is like individual people some of it is individual trials mm-hmm. um and as we discovered quite early on in the trials when we started recording we'd missed out the uh, irish ones so <laughs> i felt it was only fair seeing as this was episode is a combination of small ones mm-hmm. um but important trials obviously um it was only fair that i added them into this so i've kind of turned it into a mammoth episode now um so i suppose you should probably crack on with it Go on then. So this first one is an Irish one. And it's the trial of Biddy Early and the Magic Blue Bottle. Biddy. Biddy. Oh. I'm thinking old Biddy. Yeah, yeah, me too. <laughs> okay. So Biddy was a lady um, said to have inherited a gift from her mother of concocting herbal cures from a young age. So you typical okay. wise woman. Mm-hmm. There were rumours that she conversed with fairy fairy folk and that she could control them. So she's got a little fairy say, friend. Fairy folk. 
Oh, fair enough. Yeah. <laughs> it gets hard to say, doesn't it? It does. I do like... There's too many fuss. <laughs> yeah. I do like the Irish mythology and, like, their fairies. And... Mm. I do. I like the fact she's got lots of little friends. Yeah. So, she married four times, the last being in her 70s, to a man in his 30s. Oh. This was supposed to be in exchange for a cure. Now, uh-huh. so I found this bit and I was like, what cure? I was like, is she curing the man? Has the man got a cure that she wants? Like the, like, I don't yeah, know, the recipe for a potion? Yeah, who's going to get the cure? So I, was, I was like, I need to know more. And it, it took me a little while to find a bit more, but oh, I, sorry. I did find it. It's a bit disgusting. Yeah, I know. Mm. But then if it it's in order to get a cure or whatever she needs, yeah. I'm a bit like, okay, okay, this could work. Yeah, yeah. So obviously, I did manage to find a bit uh, about her. So I need to go back into her earlier life. So okay. I'm going to sort of look at her life as a whole. Now... Biddy was born in 1789 in County Clare to John Thomas Connors, a poor farmer, and his wife Ellen Connors, with her maiden name being Early. Biddy would be baptised Bridget Ellen Connors, but would later take her mother's maiden name Early as her surname, hence the name Biddy Early. Okay. As a child, she wore clothes by, made by her mother from woven fabrics from f- flax um, that had grown nearby. Biddy spent most of her time alone and was said to talk to fairies. So I'm thinking like only child. Yeah. She's got to make her own entertainment. Okay. She was said to be um, intelligent, but like most people at the time, she didn't learn to read or write. So obviously normal, she probably also wouldn't have gone to school. Mm-hmm. It was said that she spoke Irish with her family, but had knowledge of English. Ellen, Biddy's mum, was well known for her exceptional herbal cures and taught her daughter many of the recipes. These recipes would go on to be guarded as family secrets. So, you know, keeping it in the family, which in a way is good for her because it means she's not going to sort of lose this night. It's always secured a job for her, if you like, because she's going to be the only one that sort of has access to it, if you like. Yeah. So, when Biddy was 16, her mother died of malnutrition, leaving her in charge of the household. Mm. Unfortunately, just six months later, her her father died of typhus, which is like a bacterial infection, Mm -hmm. Um, and unable to pay the rent, it was said she left her child at home. Aged 18, she went to work for a a landlord near Limerick, but she was often bullied for her distant behaviour. She would soon leave uh, leave to work in a poorhouse, which is like a workhouse. Mm Mm-hmm. Obviously not treated well here, during her time she would walk into town on market days and this is where she met her first husband, Pat Malley. But things didn't get off to a great start. The couple were faced with several obstacles. Pat was twice Biddy's age and already had a son and Biddy had now no dowry to offer. So I think that basically means, in terms of the marriage, if he then died, she wouldn't be eligible for anything, the son gets everything, mm-hmm. unless she pays a dowry, which then sort of says that she's sort of secure in her own finances so it's a bit like i think today like um is it like prenuptial sort of things i think it's a little bit like that they did however get married and biddy gave birth to a son called paddy who would be her only child the family lived on a three-room cottage and this is where biddy started to earn her reputation for her cures she never requested money for the cures but did accept gifts um, some of which were money from her clients. Whiskey and other distilled drinks, um, also sometimes known as Irish moon- moonshine, were popular trade items. Obviously a house well stocked with alcohol, it eventually became known as the place in town to drink and play cards. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, she was widowed at the age of 25. And this is where her life gets a little bit interesting. 
She oh, marries no. very shortly after her stepson. Yes, John, that's right. <laughs> John Barley. So mm-hmm. I was like, hmm, okay, she's an interesting character. So I wondered, was she interested in the stepson before? Possibly. Mm. But maybe the dad had all the money and he wasn't working. So, But he'd be, obviously, he'd then get the money when the dad died. So Yeah, I was kind of thinking when you said age. twice her age and I was like, he's got a son. Hmm. Mm, okay. Yeah. I know where this is going. So I wonder if she was sort of preempting this sort of thing, sort of looking at for maybe she was interested in the son, but he might have not been well paid. Not he necessarily. He would have come into money once the dad died. Not necessarily. Maybe she genuinely loved his dad. They got closer yeah, as a... as they got closer. No, they got closer as he died, and then they fell in love. I don't think it's all scheming. Mm, okay, it's also weirdly incestuous. Yeah, but also a bit. When you think of porn, it's going down the whole weird thing of the mum. Yeah, yeah, but she's still your age, stepmom, stepdad. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. It... I don't... <laughs> Yeah. I can see how um, it raised a few eyebrows. Oh, yeah. So, uh, yes. Now, it would be during this marriage that her fame for her cures grew. Although her house was always filled with people, and family, um, it left her family life disrupted, which caused her son Paddy to up and leave one day and never return. So we don't know what happened to oh. him. But I don't think he liked how the house was always pretty much full of drunk people. And I also feel like he might have had a bit of a... Th- yeah, of course I just thought. She had that son, Paddy, so technically who who is now his dad is also his brother. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's oh. a bit of a messy family. Watch Do you House call of... him dad or brother? Like Watch House of the Dragon, then you, you can come but up yeah, to but me. Like, you know when you like, imagine going to like school and then like you'd be like, oh, this is my brother and my, my dad? The stepchildren marry each other, so they're mm. step-siblings. But also man and wife, but also cousins. Oh, mm. I think that's how it works. I don't know. I'm very confused. The House of Dragons right now. <laughs> I haven't watched any, but yeah, I just. But can you imagine introducing this? It'd be like, so yeah, it's my brother and my dad. You don't. I think you pick one. <laughs> yeah, you pick one. I think he's probably stepdad now, and also like, what's the age difference? Well, I'm guessing quite a bit. Yeah, because. The stepdad, who's also his brother, would now be the same age as his mum. Yeah. And she's, well, she's at least 25, and so when yeah, like, she's how old first is... widowed... Yeah, because how old is Paddy when he's leaving? Five? I, I feel like this is quite a few years later. Okay. So I think he puts up with it for so long. Then um, John uh, Maddy, so stepdad, brother person <laughs> died in 1840 from a liver ailment and biddy was a widow again aged 42 saw that drinking mm-hmm. her third marriage was to the a man by the name of tom flannery who was younger than her oh. he worked as a laborer they moved into a two-room cottage in kilbarren and this was situated over a lake which later became known as biddy early's lake her fame um, for her cures peaked during this period and her house became even busier Obviously, when people didn't get the help they wanted from doctors and priests, they would turn to Biddy. Mm-hmm. So this gave her drummed up quite a bit of business for her. Biddy would also apply herbs to wounds, make herbal remedies for the sick, and it was said that she was insightful and intuitive, which helped her to recognise and understand people's problems and deal with them in creative measures. So, 
okay. think, um, I think she's getting a bit interesting with it. But I also feel like she'd be one of them. You know, if some people maybe went to her with like a marital problem and they said mm-hmm. like, I don't know, I want to kill for my husband. She's maybe looking at the bigger picture. I feel like she was actually quite intelligent and like rather than looking at it face value, she thought about it a bit more. So then she maybe made what would be deemed a potion she goes oh it's a magic potion but actually she's then given them some advice along the side so it, it seems like the potion is magic and actually it's probably just i don't know dough dishwater or something and there's nothing magical to it she's just solved a problem and because the problem is solved because she's they like think she is a potion yeah. yeah so she's more agony aunt but in a way she's a is that the role of a wise woman mm, maybe okay so like I said, I think she's using a mixture of herbal stuff, which obviously would cure physical ailments, but mm. along with, I don't know, maybe she's a bit brainy. She's not a fraud, but there's certain bits where I think she maybe might have said it's magic and it's maybe not. She's just, I don't know, used her brain cells. So she was also occasionally called upon to treat sick animals. At some point, Biddy acquired a bottle that would become um, as famous as her. It was said she would look into the bottle, which contained some sort of dark liquid, um, to help her find the correct cure for people's problems. Mm. It apparently went everywhere with her. Of course, the church did not approve of her work, but she didn't let that stop her. In 1865, she would be accused of witchcraft under the Witchcraft Act of 1586 and was brought before a court in Ennis, which for the time was quite unusual as most of the trials had died out. A few of those who agreed to testify against her later backed out. She was released due to a lack of um, sufficient evidence and many locals supported her. Then in 1868, her third husband died, leaving her a widow at the age of 70. In 1869, so just just under a year later, she would marry for the fourth and last time to a man named Thomas Meany. They lived together in her cottage in Kilbarren until he died a year later from overconsumption of alcohol. Mm. So then I'm thinking, what happened with the older cure thing? Where did that go from the little story? So unfortunately, Biddy would die in poverty in 1874. A priest was present at her death and her friend Pat Lowen arranged for her burial. So then I'm still like, okay, she she's married this man. It's supposed to be for a cure. She soon dies. Is the cure for her illness, mm. or is the cure for some potions that she needs to make? She doesn't know about. Is he secretly a magic man? Mm. Um, so some say obviously she married him for the for a cure, but others say he came to her for a cure, and she said that she'd only give it to him in return for her him marrying her. So someone said obviously she died in poverty so that actually she didn't marry him for a cure she married him for sort of security if that makes okay. sense so he was one of those people that actually came to her for a cure um. not her looking well, i suppose she is looking for a cure but looking for a cure in terms of financial gain mm. and that yeah the cure wasn't actually he was magic himself or anything or that he had anything that she needed it more she, he did have something she needed money but it was more a case of he came to her for a cure and she only said she'd give it to him in exchange for marriage. Oh. So that's where it came. So it depends on which angle you want to look at it. Because like I said, that very first bit, I looked at it and I was like, what's the cure? Mm. I want to know what the cure is. And technically we don't actually know. No. So it's remained a mystery. I think that's the point. But yeah, so she was very much a real person. So it's not folklore, but I do feel like there is a couple of bits that have uh, 
Benny Elements. Benny. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, she's a very uh, interesting character. So yeah, yeah. She's uh, had a few husbands and uh, kept herself busy. In oh, the haven't time. we all? <laughs> <laughs> so it's like, I feel like she had quite a good childhood and then yeah. it went a bit sad. Yeah. And then I don't know, she's used it to her advantage. Well, good for her. I think that's yeah. a good thing. I think if you can come from hardship and take something from it and like not let it hold you back, yeah, it's good. It is. So next, I've got another Irish witch for us, and this is the witch of Youghal. Now, Florence Newton was an alleged Irish witch known as the witch of Youghal. Described as an old beggar woman in the town of Youghal, she was arrested and imprisoned on the twenty fourth of March, sixteen sixty one. She would, put on, would be put on trial on the 11th of September in the same year at the Assizes held at Cork. She was accused of enchanting Mary Lang, uh, Longdon and employing sorcery to cause the death of David Jones. The Crown appears to have regarded the trial as important due to the fact that they used Sir William Donville, an Attorney General for Ireland, who was brought in from Dublin to prosecute her in person. Now, for the time... Um, witch trials in this area weren't common mm. and no trial had taken place in S- Southern Ireland since the execution of two women in Kilkenny in 1578. So the fact that they've whisked someone in from somewhere else suggests quite it's either quite serious or they feel it to be quite important because yeah. there's not really many trials going on at the time. So according to accounts given at her trial in December 166... Uh, sorry, according to accounts given in her trial... In December of 1660, Florence was overheard mumbling curses after she was denied a piece of beef at the house of John Pine. Oh, who doesn't do that? (laughs) So just chuntering away to herself. Afterwards, she was said to meet an employer of Mr. Payne, a maidservant, Mary Longdon, and it was said that she violently kissed her. (laughs) Did she just grab her? and mm. kiss her okay. i'm not too sure but it was listed as violently kissed her okay and shortly afterwards mary became sick experienced fits cramps and visions sorcery was success uh, su- sorcery was suspected and mary claimed it was florence who had made her ill now if you want to <sighs> believe the kissing thing yeah in terms of an actual medical thing could it just have been that um Florence, I don't know, had a cold or a disease at some point and Mary's body reacted badly to it, causing the fits. Or she was, like, so repulsed by it, she was somehow putting these on. Okay. Either way, well, if you want to explain it from a medical point of view, yeah. the fits could have been a result of, I don't know, maybe a fever or yeah, yeah. some sort of thing. You think everything that's uh, going around in these parts, it's not like a hygiene, was at the top of everyone's list. Exactly. So Florence would then also be accused of causing the death of David Jones by acts of sorcery. At trial, David's widow said that Florence had kissed the hand of her husband through prison-barred gates and that afterwards he'd become sick and died shortly afterwards, apparently screaming Florence's name on his deathbed. I don't believe this. One fucking bit. Unless she's a mutant from (laughs) X-Men. And her touch alone can kill people. I don't think that's true. But yeah, so I feel like the first kissing thing came out and this woman was like, my husband died of prison. Um, I want someone to blame, so it's got to be her. Also, I went in on the action, so it's a good way mm. to blame her. Because like, it's almost like a five minutes of fame sort of thing. Mm. It's not like the other trials where she then risks being accused. Yeah, exactly. It's quite a different yeah. one. So then I'm also thinking, I think the husband probably just died of the conditions in prison. 
Um, nothing to do with her. And I, I feel like Florence was probably not even anywhere near the gates. Exactly. Or but she also, just if by. she was, why was she kissing his hand? Like, why has he got his arm through the barred thing? Also, and is he famous? Prison- and she's like a groupie, sort of. <laughs> Prisoners don't have windows on the outside. That's what I'm saying. So... So yeah. how did he do it? So was he either travelling? You know, like when they put yeah. him like, in a car and he's travelling to his trial or between maybe. prisons. And I don't know, maybe he was a famous prisoner. And she's like, the scene is sort of like a group thing. You know, like how now like, people write to serial killers. Oh, yeah. Fancy yeah. them. Yeah. It was this supposed to be that version of it. And she saw him and kissed his hand, which killed him. I can tell you why it didn't happen. That's why. <laughs> it doesn't make sense. It's just, it's very, it's a very yeah. strange accusation. No. So... We don't actually know if she was found guilty or if she was ever actually executed and oh. the final documents are missing. Ooh. So I don't know if it's a case that they were lost or burnt or if it just wasn't properly recorded or, or she was set free. Or she kissed the papers and they just... Oh, disintegrated. Yeah. <laughs> She's got a toxic mouth. <laughs> but yeah, so we don't know what okay. happened to her. And the next one, uh, my next trial that I'm going to go on to is another Irish one. Okay. Says. And that's Isla McGee witch trials. And this trial took place between 1710 and 1711 and is believed to be the last major witch trial to take place in Ireland. In March 1711, in County Antrim, eight women were put on trial and found guilty of witchcraft. The women were put into stocks and then jailed for one year. Okay. The trial started after claims by a Mrs Holtridge that an 18-year-old Mary Dunbar exhibited signs of demonic possession. She claimed that Mary would be shouting, swearing, blas- uh, blasphemy, throwing Bibles, going into fit- and going into fits every time a clergyman came near her. I'm thinking, maybe she just doesn't like the clergyman. Mm-hmm, yeah. Um, maybe he did something to her that he wasn't supposed to have done. Exactly. <laughs> And that she vomited up household items, and this is where it gets interesting, such as pins, buttons, nails, glass, and wool. Mm. So I'm not quite sure how she digested those in the first place to be able to vomit them up. Because I feel like that might perforate your esophagus and your bowel. She's the one who's accused of witchcraft. No, no, no. Oh, she's, she's the one who's be... being possessed. So Mrs Holtridge is saying, yeah, Mary Dunbar was in her care, okay. and she's now possessing these demonic having these demonic possessions oh, okay so I, she's about to accuse someone okay okay yes okay like our other trial with christian mm. mm-hmm. okay okay so assisted by local authorities no surprise mm. mary dunbar would pick out eight women she claimed were witches that had attacked her in spectral form i call bullshit <laughs> <laughs> yes the case was presided over by two high court judges anthony upton and james mccartney but interestingly, the two judges had very different views on the evidence. Oh. Anthony Upton urged the jury to, the jury to acquit. He did not have a he did not take the modern view that there was no witches, but stressed to the jury that b- the blameless lives of the accused and their exemplary attendance at Christian worship made it seem unlikely that they also practiced witchcraft. Mm. So he took quite a sensible mm. view. Yeah. So he wasn't just saying like witches aren't real at all, but he just said I strongly disagree that these women are witches oh yes if they're going to church Mm -hmm. one would say that they are not and prior to this there was never any accusations and they hadn't done anything wrong so they had a good record up until this point however 
judge number two, James McCartney, was more interested in the evidence provided through witness testimony and urged the jury to convict. During the arrest of the eight accused, they were set upon by an angry mob and one of the accused lost their eye. Ooh. Mm. So next I've got the names of the accused. So that was Janet Liston, Elizabeth Seller, Kate McCalmont, Jane Carlson, Janet Mean, Jane Latimer, Margaret Mitchell and a last lady who was just listed as Mrs. Anne. So I don't know whether she was um, quite low down in the, uh, not pecking order. Uh, in society so i don't know if she was a servant or a slave mm-hmm. of some type and she's just listed as mrs Anne. okay so obviously these women were found guilty uh put in stocks and jailed for one year so no death for them okay in, good which is better but yeah. also you know they're kind of been convicted of a crime they didn't commit more than likely interestingly mary's illnesses did not get better after the trial so you oh. know didn't didn't cure it i wonder why she would go on to accuse a man by the name of William Seller, who was a husband of one of those, um, sorry, a husband to one of the previously accused and a father to the other. Um, and it was claimed that he was now bewitching her. So it was put forward that um, his wife and daughter were obviously in those listed as um, previously convicted. Obviously didn't stop and they're in prison, so they can't do it from prison. So they're now using the husband to do the bewitching. Hmm. interesting right? that is interesting mm. I, I call bullshit on it still but um, you know maybe he's so angry that his wife and daughter have been accused that you know he has to he's also a witch but didn't get noticed before and now he's got to bewitch interesting that like they're saying that they can't do it from jail mm. where in other trials they're like they did it from jail and this is where it gets even more interesting just three weeks after the trial, Mary Dunbar, so that was the lady who had the demonic uh, possessions, mm-hmm. died, turning William's um, original offence of witchcraft into a capital, capital crime of murder. Huh. Okay. So she's supposed to have died, obviously, as a result of these bewitchings, which means he's now not only just bewitched her, he's now killed her. So it's a capital offence. There are conflicting reports of the verdicts, but some say he was found just guilty of the bewitching and received the same sentence as the others, while other reports say that when Mary died, his sentence was changed and that he was then executed. So, obviously, with it being a capital offence. Okay. If he was executed, he would have been only... would have been only one of two people to have been executed under the Witchcraft Act in Ireland. Ooh. And not only that, but he if he was executed, he would have been the only man ever to be executed for witchcraft in Ireland. Oh, okay. so obviously it is a bit conflicting in terms of the what we've got, and we don't really know. But if you do that, it'd be quite a a unique one yeah. if it is, because mm-hmm. I know we get a lot of once some family members are accused and then later it doesn't stop, more get dragged in. But I thought it was quite interesting from the family's point of view that it was then the guy, and mm. that they obviously then changed his sentence from him just bewitching to is uh, committed a capital offence. Mm. So, uh, yeah, it got a little bit... Well, maybe got a little bit serious for William. I'm hoping he just received the same sentence as the others and then got freed. Yeah. Um, But I have a very nasty feeling that that might not have happened. Well, if that silly girl wasn't swallowing pins and wool (laughs) and whatever, she wouldn't have died. This is it. And the thing is, the only stuff came forward after whoever was taking care of her, that Mrs Holtridge, she was the one that put it forward in the first place. So would Mary have even said anything Mm. if Mrs Holtridge hadn't put it forward? Maybe. 
Maybe not. And obviously she was, uh, as they put it, assisted by local authorities. Ah, yes. Mm. Assisted. So uh, I feel that means uh, statements prepared and mm-hmm. uh, told what to say. Pointed in, in the a right. certain direction. Yes. But yes, so I thought that was very interesting. Now, the next one I have, you've sort of mentioned this person before in a case. Um, and this is the case of Petronella Dumith. Yes. And you've obviously mentioned her in relation to Alice Keitler. Mm-hmm. But I wanted to go into Petronella, so I'm making this about her. Now, Petronella was made to Alice Keitler and was the first known case in Ireland or Great Britain of death by fire for the crime of hearsay. Oh. Mm, so, a bit of a different one. Keitler had obviously been accused of witchcraft and in the due to the involvement in her husband's death, um, and Petronella was charged with being one of her accomplices. Mm-hmm. Petronella was tortured and forced to proclaim that she and Alice were guilty of witchcraft. Kyla Rossley, as we know from yours, fled, and we don't know what happened to her, so we like to think she uh, lived a nice life. Unfortunately for Petronella, she didn't escape. She was then flogged and eventually burnt at the stake on the 3rd of November 1324 in Kilkenny. Not only was her case the first known for the death by fire, but she was the first convicted witch in Ireland to be burnt at the stake. Yeah. So she's got a few first, and I'm not entirely sure it's the sort of first she want. No. So she was, unfortunately, um, yeah, she didn't, she's a classic thing of the servant. She didn't quite get away with it in the same way that, um, not that saying Alice deserved to have gone down with her. No. But I feel like Alice got off with this quite lightly in yeah. comparison. And poor Petronella was left to be uh, flogged and then burnt to death. Yeah, but I thought nice. she was an interesting one to include because obviously it's nice to see it from the uh, servant's point of view. I feel like she was just dragged in, yeah, for absolutely no reason, yeah, and then ultimately she paid the price. Yeah, and it's it's not nice, it's especially not. the way she went. No, it it was not nice. At so all, it's like so. it's kind of like it's good. Alice go away, but then yeah. what's the consequences of Alice getting away? Yeah, they've got to punish someone. Yeah, and yeah, unfortunately for Petronella. She met her end. But she made it into the history books. So, um, I don't know. Maybe she should be a little bit proud of herself. She achieved achieved something. Not maybe what she wanted to achieve. No. But, um, yeah, she definitely made it in. So, So obviously, that was our Irish trials. Now, I have got a few more to go through. And these are ones that I've sort of picked out. One, because a lot of them are quite later on. So, it's coming towards the end of the trials. And two, they're just a bit different. So, I didn't... I, I wanted to include them because they were different from the other cases that were sort of looked at already. Um, but also some of them were quite important um, in terms of, I don't know, in terms of coming to end of the trials. So I thought they were worth a mention. Is that why you named it Small But Important? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so this next one is a very unusual one, because there's sort of two records for when it could have happened. So it depends on whose events you want to believe so i'll get into it so it's a polish one mm-hmm. and this is the Dorachau trials and it took they took place in a village um called Dorachau in poland in the 18th century it was the last mass trial of sorcery and witchcraft in in the polish lithuanian commonwealth so obviously at that time there was a lot of um a lot of the smaller countries all merged together and it's but it's also in between the independence so a lot of these are independent for a few years and then they join back together and then they get their independence back. So it's a very, in terms of the politics, it's quite a difficult time yeah. because it, everything's constantly changing, which is why I do also wonder if there's a bit of a conflict 
in the terms of the time of when trials actually happened has it just been recorded slightly wrong or has it been recorded by one side and the other side's recorded it differently if that makes sense yeah um, and also the laws change as they gain independence so i think that has a bit of an impact so the trial allegedly resulted in the execution of 14 women in 1775 and led to the ban on witch burning in poland however some reassessments of the original documentation places the trial in 1783 with only six victims mm, so a bit different yeah just a little bit so it's nearly that's nearly a whole decade different yeah. so if you want to go with the original version which is in 1775 the villagers of Darachau asked the authorities of the nearby city of Grabau to halt the investigation of the sorcery which had initiated in the village. Previously, in 1768, the Polish Parliament had banned local magistrates from handling witchcraft cases. So as you've men- I've mentioned in like the Spanish and the- especially in the French, um, it's like they have their own little parliaments. So obviously, the secular courts run a bit over the top with them. So then, depending on each area, the mag- the parliaments or the local magistrates got involved and said look you're going to have to apply to us to be able to take it to trial you can't just conduct your own trials which in a way was better but it also meant some of them went a bit underground um and i suppose i mean none of them none of the trials were good but i suppose some of them became extra illegal if you like because they were doing it without the magistrates knowing okay so that's what um was happening in poland at this at this point in time so the trial was then conducted by the court of Jabrau and this court judged 14 people guilty of witchcraft and sentenced them to death. Now, this trial allegedly led to the Polish government to ban torture and witchcraft trials in 1776, so that would be the following year. So they're saying, like, basically, by this trial happening, obviously it was the last mass one, but it then led, because it caused so many, many problems between all the local towns and cities, it led to them the ban on torture. Um, so in terms of, I think it's more being able to convict them on the confessions under torture. Okay. So it seems quite good. Yeah. Um, and as well, obviously, they've took it away from the secular court, so it has to now be presented to a magistrate instead, mm. which, so they're moving in the right direction. Yeah, of course. Um, now, it said that in that trial, the reasons for the accusations in trials was due to the illness of a local nobleman's wife. Women from the village were accused of having caused the illness by the use of magic, magic. 14 were said to have been arrested, 3 supposedly died from torture, and 11 were burnt at the stake. So I'm guessing if you then want to believe the law that was passed the following year, was it passed due to the outrage mm. of this trial and people dying under torture? Mm. Okay. As well as probably, I'm presuming, the rest of the confessions came under torture. Of course. So then this is where it gets a bit cloudy, because that's what's recorded in there. And then we have a second version, which is... It, well, it's not a second version. It's now that modern Polish historians have gone back over the records and reassessed them. So they suggest... Um, there's a historian called uh, Janzus Tabir, and he suggests that the trial really took place. So in that, he questions whether the trial really took place in 1775 and whether it happened as described or if it really did affect the law. Because after he reassessed this, he found some more records... And those uh, recorded details were found to have been written by a writer who was linked with several historical hoaxes. Oh. Yeah. So it was a case of this, the guy that wrote it obviously was linked with hoaxes. Not all of his works were a hoax, Mm. but there was a large number of them, which is not something you really hear of. Like you hear of things being recorded wrong or being very one-sided, but you never really hear of historical hoaxes, do you? No. That reminds me of um, another case you covered where that, 
writer wrote lots of fiction. Yes. And he wrote something... I can't remember what it, exactly what it was. Yeah, he wrote a lot of fiction, but he took stuff from factual, actual, real-life yes. events that had happened. Yeah, so no one believed him on this one yeah. occasion because he was a fiction writer. Doesn't mean that all those hoaxes yeah. weren't real. Exactly. So I think for this, like I said, he could have been right about it, but at yeah. the same time, he's the main source of the original, for the original trial. So if you kept, kept, like cast in doubt over the rest of his work and if he's been found to be linked to hoaxes i suppose you've got to cast a little bit of doubt yeah does he willingly admit all the other ones as hoaxes or is he just found out he's that... found out after so we're talking years later so i don't know whether he's dead at this point okay. or whether so okay so i think it's more he was uncovered by other people's works mm. and i think obviously he probably wrote one thing at, at the time it was the only information found so and i think this is where with the independence it gets quite iffy because i feel like he probably wrote for the more dominant country at the time wrote everything down that got officially recorded but obviously there would have been people in the background writing things mm-hmm. that would have been far more accurate but they might have been suppressed at the time yeah those countries have then probably gained independence or they've hidden their work mm-hmm. and then as we've got to so many hundreds of years later people reinstate stuff you get your liberties back if you like and that then meant that the work that had been hidden was allowed to come back out yeah but obviously it conflicts a lot of the other things but also actually if you look at the evidence a lot of the stuff that's hidden they all support it's a it depends how you want to look at it they all support each other so then you could say well they've just written it because that's their version and it conflicts but also when you look at the facts based on other bits of evidence it seems to support it a bit more yeah so there's definitely a trial happened we're mm-hmm. not we're not disputing that it's just no we're not the, sure on the year yeah. and how many victims that's what's yeah. currently being disputed okay so and the reason um so the primary sources proved that six not 14 women were sentenced to death so this doesn't mean that there wasn't 14 women originally it just means six were in the end so is it a case of it wasn't recorded properly in these newer bits maybe so the, what this other guy right it might have it might have been 14 originally accused but were only six found guilty and that's what that's, i'm thinking so they yeah. were only officially recorded so what he had was maybe the inside information yeah. so it doesn't necessarily mean he was wrong it's just it conflicts mm. what it said so in his statement it said that 14 people were pulled up for the trial so and convicted so and obviously three died um which obviously is a bit different from the others it's also not clear if those six were actually executed or whether they were just sentenced to death and then they could have maybe received a pardon mm. so we don't know that so obviously if they weren't killed then it wasn't the last it was the last mass trial but it wasn't the last mass killing because yeah. they didn't we don't know whether they actually died okay so um, and if, usually if they ha- have been executed they should yeah um, usually, most cases yeah. there's a, a record of it there's only very few where there isn't yeah. and i've tended to find that those that aren't then recorded or even if their verdict's not recorded if you put them in separately into some sort of ancestral thing you're able to find it they might have survived a year or two years after yeah. it doesn't mean they weren't imprisoned but it means they weren't executed so it's yeah it's very tricky i think there's a lot of it, it probably was recorded at the time but we've lost it as time's mm. gone on so also the primary sources suggest that the trial may, um that this trial took place in 1783 not 1775 so that was the one of the recorded six not 14 so is it a case they're two two different trials or is this other bit the official records and the date was just wrong i don't see how the date the year the, the year could have got lost in translation that's the only bit for me where it's very mm. up and it's a bit iffy um 
obviously, if it happens later in 1783, uh, sorry, that's going to have a massive impact in terms of how important the trial was because obviously it suggests, uh, Tasbeer suggests that it must have taken place after 1776 because it's been recorded that the judges who conducted the trial were punished for pronouncing the sentence, which obviously would mean they accuse them on the death sentence after um, under torture after 1776 and they oh, were punished mm-hmm. but obviously that law only came in in 1776 so that meant the trial would have had to happen after 1776 mm. not before yeah so because obviously if it happened it they're suggesting it happened in 1775 which brought in the law which obviously would make it a very important trial in terms of the law for the polish um in terms of polish law but obviously, if the if in these records the judges were punished, that would suggest the law was already in place. Therefore, it would have had to happen after seventy six. So yeah. instead of it being the one that changed the law, it would be important for the reason that it's one that took place even though the law had been put into place, and almost like the judges were in the wrong. What they did technically was illegal. So either way, it's obviously very important, mm-hmm. but it completely changes the narrative of the not story, the trial, if you like, because it goes from it being one that changes law to one that happened because the law has been broken. Um, So there's no trace of the trial in official Polish records or in contemporary press in 1776. However, in 1793, so that's another decade after when they think it could have possibly taken place, um, another modern historian believed to, um, believe the last which, sorry, in 1773, another Modern historian believes that the last witch trial took place in Poland in nine in seventeen ninety three. Sorry, so that's another then another decade after the seventeen eighty three. Okay. So obviously, what during that time, um, it was the second partition of Poland, which is the Polish independence. Mm-hmm. So obviously, again, the records are changing. Who's in charge? That's changing, um, and that all happened in the second half of seventeen ninety three, and a local judge in the city of Poznan cited that uh, partitions and transitions from Polish to Prussian authority as a basis was a basis for voiding Polish law, banning the trial and execution of witches. So basically, what happened was as Poland gained their independence, they passed a law um, which banned the trial and execution of witches. So then that means again, obviously, that's almost twenty years after the original one. What did they maybe try to pass something then? But obviously, they were under Prussian mm. law. So that law was cited under one, then as Polish have got their own independence, they officially make it their own thing. So which one is the right one? Do you see what I mean? Yeah. In terms of, because then if the Russian have come back in, have they overturned? And that's why that one happened in 1783, because they had more control at the time. Yeah. So was it the Polish? Or did it just happen that the judges were Polish? Yeah. So was it Polish law that they went against? Or was it Russians that come in? So it's a bit of a shady time. It depends on how you want to look at it. Yeah, I think that's the problem with like this time in Europe, Eastern Europe, that everything's so all over the place that you're not... Yeah. That's why the records are all wrong. Well, not wrong. Uh, they sort of conflict each other a conflict, little bit. yes. And so it's. I, I do think this trial happened. It's when, whether you mm. want to believe there was only one trial and the dates have just been a bit misconstrued, or if actually there was three separate trials. That's what I'm thinking. And then you depend on which one, then you need to decide which one you think is the last one. Mm-hmm. Um, technically, I suppose the one in 1793 would be the last one. Yeah. Um, but again, like I said, it depends how you want to look at it in terms of the 
um, the Polish or the Prussian law. It makes sense with like who's in charge of that area that mm-hmm. there will be three. Yes. That makes sense. So, um, and in during that 1793 one, sorry, um, it was a po- it was recorded that only two women um, were executed. Uh, they were then burnt at the stake. And that was supposedly because they had inflamed eyes and enchanted their neighbour's cows. Oh, so again, that massively convicts. So this is why for me, I sort of think there maybe was three trials because I've had one yeah. with 14 in, then there's that second one with six, which could have been still the original one, um, but were just less officially recorded. But then this one now is only two, and mm-hmm. obviously this is quite a bit later. So I do sort of feel like there might have actually been three separate trials, and yeah. that that first one wasn't a hoax. Yeah. It's just unfortunate that the person that wrote it was also tied in that's, with other hoaxes. I think that's the issue. It's like they they doubt the credibility of that one person, mm-hmm. and then it throws in to doubt that trial. Also, when it comes to like enchanting, what do, in my head it's like. Like the cows are floating around. Yeah, like, almost, yeah. But, and they've got like weird, like not fireflies, but you know, yeah. like there's something like there's glittery something around. around it. Yeah, it's like, oh, it's enchanted. It's like, like obvious it's enchanted. But yeah, like, like a wind it sweep, yeah. sweeps in and they all start doing something strange. So like, what does it mean by enchanting a cow? What do you get know. from enchanting a cow? I don't know. Is it like a pied piper of the cows? Like they did the enchantment and the cows followed them. So that's how you <laughs> steal them? I don't know. But it's like when they say it gave them a wonky leg. Like, yeah. I don't get what it means. Does it just mean they were lame? Because to me, like, I'm thinking they didn't have a wonky leg. They were lame. But I see they sort of hobble a bit yeah. when they're lame. So, but would they think of, like, they've made one leg shorter than the other and that's why they're wonky? Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It's, is it just language for the time? Yeah, I think so. And it's also, like, enchanting a man or a woman, that <laughs> sounds intriguing. But enchanting a cow, other than the man from the other episode who was... Oh, what, the cow prodding? <laughs> That, yes, that man with his cow lover. Probably not a willing participant in that. But, like, why would you enha- enhance? Enchant. Enchant a cow. Unless yeah, it's a like I said, pipe, I think. Yeah, unless you're trying to steal it, or like I said, I don't know, trying to get it to produce more milk or make the other person's milk go off so yours is, then becomes more valuable. I don't know. Mm, I don't know, it's just weird. Yeah. But yeah, I, I imagine like it's either... A like, floating cow. Yeah, a floating cow, or like you said, with things around it that is like very obvious that it's enchanted. Yeah. Or it changes colour. It goes Ooh. like purple and white. Purple. I was thinking purple. <laughs> but yeah, so no, I thought that one was worth including because mm. it was quite different in terms of... Obviously, it's quite difficult because... The laws and the independence change so much, but obviously also it massively impacts the initial suggestion of the impact that the trial had. Um, so yeah, it's very conflicting. Like I said I do think there probably was three trials. It's not mm. just one that's been misrecorded. Mm. There's probably way more than like that's not actually recorded yeah. in oh, any of these places. And especially if you think there's independence, I should imagine there's a lot of wars sort of going on. Even if it's like just little civilian sort of wars or. Um, sort of like rebellions mm. a lot of stuff's going to get damaged in that time so mm. a lot of records will also get lost um, yeah. and I also feel like some of these countries especially ones if Russian ones have come in they've took over they've maybe either destroyed or they've rewritten bits that have already happened so that it suits or fits in with what they want oh you mean the Russians come in and take over everything <laughs> and then yeah oh this is ours now yes hmm. very how very um... they've not changed at all no, have no, they? Not, not at all but then, to be fair, when you looked at that other German one, and yeah, if you want to look, they've not, <laughs> no, not changed. Especially if you want to look at Hitler, because that wasn't really that long ago. Um, that was sort of a 
it was Hitler number one, wasn't it? Mm. It was very strange. I kind of want to look into the history of Germany, like even before the witch trials, because I think there's something in the air or in the land that makes it so... Because they Bloody. seem to have, yeah, but they also seem to be so extreme. But it's again with the Russians; they're just mm. they seem next level with their weapons. Is it? Are we just a bit relaxed? I don't know. Are we mm-hmm. chilled? Are we confident in ourselves? Are we a bit cocky that we think we don't need weapons? Are they like paranoid states? I don't think we're cocky. Yeah. We're I think not, we are. We're not of. relaxed. We we are cocky because yeah. we can. In the past. We went into all countries and decided that was ours. Yeah, took over. So we can't really like be judging the Germans and Russians here, but <laughs> I, I think we know. did it in a different way. It's just because both those countries have such a bloody past. Yeah, but they seem so extreme. Like, even in the yeah. torture and stuff, it's yeah. like next level. Yes, yeah. it's almost I don't know. Maybe whoever they've got there just thought, uh, they've done that, but it's just a bit average. We've got to go. We've got to outdo them in terms of weapons and torture so they go next level mm, maybe i think there's probably some like psychology to do with it i don't mm. know I, I it's an interesting thing to look into i think it is because there's a lot of countries as well that you think of that never really get involved in any wars new uh, zealand and iceland <laughs> <laughs> but that's it but what what's the difference with them why are they so chilled it's the way they are <laughs> i don't know i think i don't know i think it people and the land i guess i don't yeah. i don't know there's something behind it and we have to figure that out there must be magic in the air maybe there yeah. is maybe it's to do with the witches and they just got it all wrong rather than them um creating wonky cows maybe they were messing with everyone's psychology mm-hmm. so we just we got it all wrong we missed it maybe we've only just realized <laughs> <laughs> but yeah so i have a few more charts to go and these next three I've had to sort of split it into three parts because they're all versions of the last uh, person to be executed in Europe. So it depends on who you want to believe. Mm -hmm. So the first one, so I've done three separate ones. And so this first one is for a lady by, um, by the name of Barbara and she was born in 1769 and she was a Polish lady, allegedly an alleged, an alleged arsonist who had also was also accused of witchcraft now barbara lived in east prussia which is now poland and she is considered by many to be the last woman to be executed for witchcraft in europe although the accusations of witchcraft were listed in her case witchcraft was not actually a criminal offense in prussia at that time so this is where later on people are saying well she wasn't actually executed for witchcraft so in 1806 a devastating fire ravaged the town which burnt it almost entirely to the ground so i'm sort of thinking a little bit fire of london here Mm. barbara was um, a maid known for her fondness of magic and so she was blamed obviously naturally she likes magic so it must be her she was arrested in 1807 and imprisoned um, in a castle now i don't know if that's just where their prison was or if she was sent there on special request but it sounds quite cool I mean, she's not in the high tower of the castle. No, she'll, she'll be, be in the dungeon. Yeah, but <laughs> with the rats. I do like the castle. Yeah. Also, eighteen. What did you say? Eighteen oh seven. That seems quite late. It is quite late. Mm. And especially if you want to go back to that other case. Mm. Um, yeah, it's very different, isn't it? So that would massively then conflict those. Mm. But then again, is it a case of there? What she's actually executed for is not witchcraft. 
It's just awesome. Yeah. Mm. So this is why it's a bit conflicting later on. Some people believe she was the last one. Some people don't think she is. So she was obviously arrested in 1807. No evidence of substance was available, and she was, but she was still accused and found guilty of causing the fire. In 1811, Barbara was executed by burning at the stake on a hillside, though it was said she was strangled to death by the executioner first, and then the fire was set. Okay. So there's uncertainty as to why she was accused and convicted. Besides the uh, accusations of witchcraft, the only other reason offered up was the fact that she was a 38-year-old woman with a teenage boyfriend. So, Ooh. yeah, a very controversial... Well, it is controversial, because you're thinking, oh, gosh, she's that old and she's like with a teenage boy, that's a bit pedo-y. But then, at the same yes. time, how old is teenage? Because technically 19 is still a teenager. But think of and it he's, like, way. middle-aged at that point. Yeah. Think of it the other way. A man in his 30s with a teenage girl is a bit... Not frowned, it's... It's frowned upon, but also more accepted Socially. than it being a woman with Socially a younger boy. acceptable when it shouldn't be but it's more socially acceptable yeah. for some reason like, I, I, depending on how old he is good for her i guess yeah being like a, yeah but um yeah no it's a bit of an odd one because this like is... <laughs> so because teen imagine being dating a teenager i feel like from the boy he doesn't really care he's getting to have sex so he's not really bothered how old she is no, but, like, teenagers are annoying as fuck. Yeah, they are. But then at the same time, is she just having sex with him? Like, is she actually in a relationship with him or is she uh, like, just having sex? Yeah, you've got to put up with a teenager, though. I don't like yeah, it. Yeah, but you also think of all the other old men at home. They probably are half dead. And she's a witch, <laughs> so she's probably shriveled all their penises anyway, yeah. so... And you never know. She She's 38, but she might look youthful like you, oh. so... Oh, thank you. She might, she might pass for a teenager. Oh, maybe. Yeah. Okay. So, so maybe that's how she's done it. Mm, I still don't like it. No, it's, it's a bit weird. So then for me, like I said, obviously she was convict, uh, convicted and accused of the fire. So they've sort of done it under witchcraft. They're Basically, the accusations all link her in. They're accusing her of being a witch. She's then found guilty of starting this fire. But is she is the conviction technically arson? In which case, she wasn't the last witch convicted. Are they only associated with witchcraft because the way she was killed was burning at the stake? Maybe. So this is where... Like I said, it's it's really conflicting. Some people believe she was because the way she was killed was how all the witches were killed at the time. But also, if you look at her crime, she's not accused of charming or enchanting people. She just has associations with magic. She, she and in my head, it sounded like I said magic. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> that's why I paused. But, um, well, uh, I completely forgot what I was going to say. She's just trying to buy dick. <laughs> yes. Oh no, maybe she enchanted the teenager. That's how she got him. Okay. Mm. I it's very interesting that they burnt the arsonists. Yeah. Oh, I, yeah, I didn't think about that. But maybe, like, that's your crime, so... Yeah. Same punishment. Punishment if it's the crime. Yeah. Okay. Which, to be fair, if that was the case, that would be... I think it's quite the right way to go about it. Not saying necessarily killing people is always the right thing, but for the times, you know, if you've burnt someone, you should be burnt back. Like, if you bludgeon someone to death, or bludgeon you to death. Hey, it's no, an eye for an eye. Yeah. It's not great. It takes the whole world. It, de- it depends how bad the person was, I think. No. <laughs> yeah, but if they were like a mass murderer. Mass murderer should be locked away. Uh, yeah, I don't know. It's hard, isn't it? Because I, I suppose with like modern day, I don't really necessarily agree with the 
death sentence. The more the reason I don't agree with the death sentence is the fact that a lot of the time the people that are sentenced to death are actually probably innocent. Mm-hmm. If there was a way that like it was conclusive, there was no way that it wasn't Neither not that person. I don't think it's fair on the victims or their families. Yes, they might want a quick punishment for that person taking a loved one away, but then that's not really punishment, is it? Uh, Yeah, I suppose, I don't know, because are they really being punished in prison? Do you know what I mean? Their freedom has been taken away. But for some of them, if you look at a lot of them, how they've ended up in prison, actually the conditions in there are much nicer than what they had before. So is it a punishment? (laughs) (laughs) It's it's a difficult one, isn't it? I know. I think it depends. I'm not talking about like just one of like, not that a one-off murder is fine, but you know, some of them generally like, it's like a crime passion. Or that person genuinely wasn't a bad person. They wouldn't have done it otherwise. But you know, when you've got these full-on psychopaths that have killed like a hundred people or something, Mm. why are we giving them nice stuff? Do you know what I mean? Like, they've took so much. Yeah. So why should we give them a nice, cushy cell? Because <laughs> they get know. access yeah. to TV I and everything, know. don't they? Do you know what I mean? They can yeah. still use their own money. They still have stuff like... The, it's not prison... If it was prison how it was a couple of hundred years ago, where you're at risk of dying of, like, a common cold because the conditions are so shit, like, make prison, like, actually horrible. I think maybe that's where we're going wrong. So maybe don't bring the death sentence back. Just make prison really horrible. Like, so it's like slave labour sort of thing, rather than... <laughs> okay, I don't... That's a controversial... <laughs> well, no, but you know... I get like, what you mean, that, like... It shouldn't be... They're basically ha- given house and board for murdering five people. Yeah. It's not great. Yeah. It's, I feel like you should be going to prison for a punishment. Like, it doesn't yes. always seem like a punishment. Yeah. You think people are struggling far more that aren't in prison yeah. than the people in prison. Yeah. Because you think, like, even with COVID and, like, things like that, they were all sort of sorted out. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? I don't think they should be... No, I'm saying they're not, but, you know, you think there's people here struggling and they lost so much stuff. People have, like, lost their jobs. Mm -hmm. People lost their houses. They lose... And obviously then, as a result, they lose their houses. The people in prison were never going to lose anything. They're still going to get exactly the same treatment regardless. Yeah. I think maybe they shouldn't... Like, I feel like they haven't really lost any privileges. Besides the fact that they can't get off and go and walk around and go shopping whenever they want. Yeah. Do you know what yeah. I mean? There's still a lot they can do. They, they still have the right to education while they're in there. They can still learn new things, which in terms of rehabilitation for a lot of them, it's good because yeah, it means them when they come yeah. out, yeah. especially for more petty crimes, yeah. if you like, it's good. It's a good way of getting people not to recommit mm-hmm. crime. Mm-hmm. But these that are on there on a life sentence, like, I don't know, I feel like they're getting a bit too cushy. I do think they should, I don't know, have to work long hours, like 16, 18 hours a day. And then have a really, I don't know, straw bed <laughs> <laughs> do you know what i mean yeah, i feel yeah. like the facility you think of all the homeless people that haven't committed crimes and they're out living in the streets and mm-hmm. then you've got someone that like bludgeoned someone to death yeah it's even yeah. though it won't be the comfiest of beds it's still in comparison yeah. they've got hot meals every day yeah a shower yeah do you know what i mean they've still got people they can talk to yeah. i don't it doesn't seem that horrible does it no gone wildly, it's off, gone wildly topic. off topic but do you know what i mean i know it, it does you look back to how it was hundreds of years ago you genuinely you didn't want to go in prison no. because it was like that weren't basically mm. well even if you weren't given the death sentence it was almost a death sentence because you're either going to be worked to death or you died in the conditions yeah so maybe we should, maybe that's okay so maybe don't bring back the death sentence 
bring back shitty prisons. <laughs> okay. <laughs> we'll go with that. Okay. Right. So the next one, if you want to believe it, um, which would be, and it's another woman. So, and that would be Anne Goldie. Now she was born on the 24th of October, 1734, and she was the, four, the fourth born of eight children. She started work as a domestic servant, age 18. Between the years of 1762 and 1765, she worked at a rectory, at the rectory of Senwold, and when she was 31, Anne became pregnant by a mercenary who left Switzerland, Switzerland sorry, before she gave birth. Her baby died the same day it was born. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if it was still born or if it just didn't survive very long. So she's obviously, I'm guessing, she's in a little bit of trouble having a baby out of wedlock mm. and uh dad's disappeared so it's not not a good start fan no um under accusations of the murder of her own child so this being the one that was just born which is why i'm saying i'm not sure whether it died as it was born dead or because mm. people sort of threw out there that she killed it through witchcraft because it was going to leave her impoverished because she should have an technically an illegitimate child so her way was to kill it so she was no she could go back to her normal life, if you like. Mm. Um, she was um, sentenced to pillory, which has obviously been put in the stocks, and then sentenced to six years um, of house arrest. She escaped, however, oh. and found work for the family in Mollis. She worked for them from 1768 to 1775 or 76. It's a bit conflicting. I couldn't... There was two separate accounts for the date. Some was late December, some was early January. So very close together, but technically two different years. Now, during that time, she had another child, and this time she had a son with Johan... um, With a man called Johan, um, who was the son of her employer. They were not married. Mm. So I see a little pattern going here. She moved on um, and she was working as a maid um, for a family, for a different family in 1780. So it's like she has these children. I don't know whether this child survived or died. It just says she moved on to the next family. So I'm not, I feel like if she had a young baby with her, she probably wouldn't have got the work with that other family. So has this one just died as a result of ill health? Or the dad and his family have taken care of the baby? Possibly. I didn't consider that. So... Jacob, who was a member of this house, reported her for having put needles into the bread and milk of one of his daughters. So I'm presuming Jacob's the head of the house. Mm-hmm. Um, apparently, by supernatural means. Anna first escaped arrest, so she's a bit badass here, she was a bit of an escape artist. But after a reward for her capture was put out, she was arrested in February 1782. Under torture, she admitted to entering a pact with the devil, who appeared to her as a black dog. When the torture ended, she withdrew her confession, but it was too late, and she was sentenced to death by decapitation. So she's a bit of an escape artist, but I also picked this one because it was an unusual death sentence. Mm. So decapitation is not one we've really heard of. So the official charge was poisoning, but because of the nature of the accusations and the witch hunt that led to the capture... Um, her capture, sorry, which sparked outrage throughout Switzerland, many regard her as a... um, her trial as a witch trial, making her one of the last to be tried and killed as a witch. Mm. Um, of course, most of the men and women convicted through this time were innocent, um, although 
I feel like this one, she's another one that's lumped in. Those that were, like those that were found guilty, had actually committed another crime. They just tried it under witchcraft. So I don't know if that's, they would have had insufficient evidence if they tried it the normal way. Mm-hmm. So they said she conjured it up by magic, yeah. or he conjured it up by magic. And then that way they could find them guilty and also, ensure they got capital offence. Yeah, but also look, she confessed under torture, mm-hmm. retracted it after being after tortured. Uh, let's see why she would do that. Yeah. Um, is. Um, Torture. Is torture. Does torture work? Uh, no. No. No, it's just satisfying for the person that inflicts the torture. Exactly. But it yeah, so she, I feel like she might have been a bit of a shady character. Um, mm. I don't think she necessarily did what she was accused of. But I think it was maybe easy to accuse her because of the things that she's done in her past. Yeah. So yeah, again, she's another one. If you want to believe that it was witchcraft she was technically the last one if you want to even though they struggled with poisoning obviously if you look at what she was accused of and you look at so many of the other witch trials they were sentenced to death for poisoning someone or like murder under poisoning but they were still burnt at the stake with all the other witches so it depends on how you want to look at it the only good thing for her although it does come a little bit late was her exoneration which was on the 20th of september 2007 so it makes absolutely no difference to her a bit um, late yeah, very late. The Swiss Parliament decided to acknowledge the case as a miscarriage of justice. Um, exoneration was granted in August 2008, that's 226 years after her death, on the grounds that she'd been subject to an illegal trial. Um, and they said that obviously that's because her confession was obtained under torture, which mm-hmm. so good for them. But it's saying basically it's illegal. They also said that they... Um, that Anna's employer had abused his power after she threatened to reveal their affair. So they'd oh. obviously managed to get more court records for the time. So I feel like she probably didn't put needles in the children's bread and milk. I think accusing someone of witchcraft, especially during this time, is like the um, end-all excuse. It's like, mm-hmm. you can't reveal our affair. Yeah. Because I'll... Tell everyone you're a witch. Yeah. But then, like I said, and if you want to go back to her past, this would obviously be the third family that she's um, shacked up with the uh, main man. <laughs> yeah. So is that a bit of her, is that her MO? She gets what she wants, maybe when Ian born, and then when it goes a bit wrong, she moves on to the next one. Maybe. Um, it's just unfortunately for her, this time, it, it went a bit wrong. Yeah. So, yeah, I feel a bit sorry. So like I said, it depends on how you want to look at it, as to whether you want to class her as the last one or not. Um, so then this one is... Uh, the last one executed part three. And that's a, another lady by the name of Anna. And she was an alleged Bavarian witch. And for a long time considered to be the last person convi- convicted for witchcraft. Born in poverty, Anna served as a maid. In 1751, a Protestant coachman was converted to Catholic faith. And Anna tried to prevent this. So obviously we all know that a lot of the tri- witch trials are surrounded in religion and depending on whatever area you're in if what you believe in is different from everyone else it's not allowed um it was also said that she abandoned her catholic faith in order to marry a protestant but that marriage plans were then broken off so i feel like the the accusations first started when she wanted to marry someone of a different faith Mm -hmm. um which obviously is allowed now but uh definitely wasn't back then no so in 1769, she injured her leg, and in 1770, she was placed in a poorhouse, which is a workhouse. So it, she was already a bit poverish, but now she's really in the shit. Because mm. um, I feel like she's probably struggling to look after herself. So 
Suspicions of her and the coachman's involvement in Satanism then led to an arrest. She reportedly freely confessed to having made a pact with the devil. So I feel like she's just in really shitty situations and someone started get, making accusations. She's thrown in prison. She's just like, you know what, by this point I'll just say, whatever yeah. the hell we want. She was obviously found guilty and sentenced to be executed on the 11th of April 1775. But strangely, by July 1775, the case seemed to have been forgotten and Anna remained in jail where she died of natural causes in 1781. So I don't know why she wasn't executed. Like I said, whether the paperwork was missed. Obviously, unfortunately, she was still in prison, but I don't necessarily think that was any worse than the poorhouse that she was put in. Um, The charge was of sorcery, um, whereas obviously the other two weren't actually sorcery. So if you want to look at it, technically... She was the last one to be executed for witchcraft, but again, I don't really think she was a witch. I'm not entirely sure what it was she was supposed to have done here, other than like a man that wasn't of the same faith. So yeah, I think she's another instrument. Obviously, I know she wasn't executed, so again, people, she died in prison. So again, technically she wasn't executed, but she was the only one that her conviction stuck was related actually two sorcery that was her actual mm. um crime written down sentence given and you what? could argue that she might not have died if she wasn't in jail mm-hmm. so in a way it was her death sentence yeah. so yeah so that's like the very three interesting ones mm. all there's not much time in between them no but depending on which one you want to believe technically she's the last one because her conviction was of sorcery and the other two were a little bit later but obviously their accusations thrown in were of witchcraft. They just weren't what they were convicted of. One was arson and the other one was poisoning. So it depends. I'll leave it to the listeners to decide who it is they think mm. um, was actually the last one. And there's probably more that we don't even know about. Mm. We've been lost to record. So there probably is one even later and we just don't know it. There's probably some that weren't even recorded. They're mm-hmm. just some people taking justice into their own hands and just being like, you're a witch. I think that happens yeah. a lot, especially in um, other European countries, not necessarily ours, but I think especially in like France and Spanish, where it went, when it went to the individual parliaments, mm-hmm. I think a lot of the secular courts took it um, into their own hands because they no longer had control over it. And considering it was them that were convicting everyone in the first place. Yeah. But yeah, so I do have a couple more trials, and these were just extra ones that I found that were a bit interesting. So I think you'll like this next one, Natasha. And this is the Padstow Pirate Witch. Ooh. I was getting, when I first thinking, I was thinking, ooh, Anne Bonny. And it gets even better, because the lady is called Anne. So okay. this is for um, by a lady by the name of Anne Piers. Now, she was a Cornish lady, so not too far from home. Mm. Um, and she was charged with witchcraft. Anne lived in Padstow with her husband William and their daughter Honor, which is an unusual name. Well, not for the time, but at first when I read it, I was like, she lives with Honor, and then I was like, oh no, that's her daughter. <laughs> so it took me a few minutes to work it out. She also had a son, but it would be her son John who would be the cause of her troubles. John was a notorious pirate who um. would eventually be caught and put to death for his crimes, not under witchcraft, but for um, piracy. Taking, yeah, piracy. So at the time of John's arrest, Anne was accused of handling his stolen plunder and was charged um, with the much more serious crime of witchcraft. The records imply that locals believed Anne had direct, was directly responsible for her son's success as a pirate and that she used dark arts to hide him from authorities and assist him in finding treasures to steal. So she's one of those that's just been thrown under the boat. 
if she can do all that, why isn't she hiding herself? Exactly. This is what I don't understand with the things. No. But yes, apparently she's done it to... Um, I mean, if she did, good for her for mm. supporting her son. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I don't, I don't think she did that. No. Then, on the 25th of October, 1581, no evidence other than hearsay was presented, including that of a local vicar. Surprise, surprise. So, police did confirm that they had no knowledge of her being a witch and believed the accusations to be untrue. Oh, good. Yeah. But they did all agree that she led a loose life, as it was described then, and that she had disorderly behaviour towards locals. It was said that she'd been seen out late at night, unsupervised by her husband. Oh no, how dare she? she, I know, be unsupervised by a man. Um, And that she'd made profits from her son's criminal behaviour. Although initially charged, she was actually later acquitted. So luckily she escaped, but for a while she was known as the Pastor Pirate Witch. Because, yeah, it was seen as she'd gained all of those extra bits. Um, yeah, she, I'm, I think they're saying she basically helped her son get the plunder and that then she maybe sold on some of those stolen goods. And from what I can work out, that uh, loose life and disorderly behaviour, I think she was uh, just enjoying her life, but also she was not one to be messed with. I, don't, I think if you gave her a mouthful, she was giving her mouthful back. Oh, um, good. And obviously she didn't need a husband to hold her hand, so... Uh, she could that. look after herself. Can you imagine having to like be chaperoned all the time? I My know, God. it'd be terrible. So, um, yeah, no, she... Uh, good for she, her. Good for her. I'm glad she got acquitted in the yeah. end. But I thought she was an interesting one. Because as yeah. soon as it came up with Pirate Witch, I was like, ooh, I thought yeah. it was going to be a folklore one. I was like, no, she's a real lady. She's real. Okay, so this next trial is the witch that got away. So we, we like these ones. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the last witch trials in England was that of Jane Renham in Herefordshire in 1712. Following a quarrel, a local farmer accused Jane of witchcraft, claiming she'd sickened his cows. Um, she, of course, denied being a witch, but potions were found in her room. Oh, no. I uh, know. The most damning evidence I gave her came when she stumbled whilst reciting the Lord's Prayer. Oh. Now, I don't know whether they mean stumbled as in she stumbled with her words or stumbled as in she fell over. Yeah, I think <laughs> with her words. Words. To be honest, I don't know the Lord's Prayer. No, neither do I. But I think at the time you were supposed to know, weren't you? Because it's it the... the only thing you're allowed to read. <laughs> mm. Yeah, because I think that was in the Finnish or Swedish. Yeah. You had to read because you had to read the Bible. What is the Lord's Prayer? I don't know. In it's like, like your kingdom Sunday thing when you go to church. Yeah. In heaven. I don't know. I've, I've never been to something church. <laughs> something be thy name. No, I have absolutely I no idea. I, I'll, I'll, I'll believe you. I don't know. <laughs> Of course, her, stumble, uh, her stumbling was evidence that, of witchcraft, but things would take a turn. Oh. When prosecutors suggested that she'd been uh, witness flying, the judge remarked, flying is not illegal. So it was oh. very unusual, yes. Okay. Which technically is not wrong, because there wasn't actually a law saying flying was illegal. Mm. So okay. it was wrong. I so like good on the judge. Yeah. Although the jury found her guilty, the judge set aside her conviction and suspended the death sentence. She died a free woman in 1730. So mm. this one's all down to the judge. So I don't know whether if he just quite liked her. Yeah, maybe. He's just like <laughs> she was okay. had a bit of a charm because it was it was unusual um, in that. But he made a very good point. So I thought she was the one worth including because it's not often that the judge overturns it. It was probably a Friday, and he was like, you know what. It's not illegal. She can do what she wants. Yeah. Also, I quite like her. Yeah. She go for a drink. Yeah, yeah, exactly. 
Good on him. But yeah, so she was one that got away. So and obviously she was one of the last ones in England. So it was good for us because it's one that came brought it towards the end. So I feel like the mass hysteria is sort of gone now. Hmm. Um, and yeah, everyone's been a bit more reasonable. So good, good on her that good. she escaped. This last one um, that I've got is a man um, by the name of Cornelius Lewes or Lowes. I'm not quite sure what it is. It's spelled Lewes as in you go to the loo. So Lewes, I think. Okay. So, and he was uh, imprisoned because he was against the trials. Mm. Well, of course. Yeah. Now, Cornelius Lewis was born in 1546 and went on to become a Roman Catholic priest. Mm. So, very unusual, the fact he was against the trials. He was also a professor of theology. But it was he was different from many other religious men at that time, as he was the first Catholic official to write publicly against the witch trials raging throughout Europe at the time. Mm. So he's a big character. Not only did he just not agree in it, he was quite vocal about it. So I think we can see where this is going. <laughs> he was also about to find himself in a trial, not a witch one. He was never actually accused of witchcraft like the others were when they protested against it. Instead, he was simply thrown in prison, his work confiscated and suppressed, and he was forced to recant under what I imagine was torture. Mm. So he was basically, he was charged for writing false information, um, not actually of witchcraft. So, and they obviously just, well, they believed, they destroyed it all. Now, his manuscripts would be lost for almost 300 years, and that was until they were discovered in a library in Trier in 1886, by an American historian named George Lincoln Burr. So I want to go a little bit more into Cornelius and his life. He was born in Gouda in the Netherlands and studied philosophy and theology. In 1574, Cornelius and his family were forced to leave for political reasons. Now, from what I could make out at the time, um, the city that he did had been captured by Protestant and national rebels um, during the Dutch Revolt. So like with the others, there's a lot of countries being taken over um, and new people moving in so after he moved he was ordained as a priest and was awarded a doctor of theology uh, degree in 1578 at the university of uh, Mainz, which is in germany so he's gone from the netherlands to germany where he would then go on to become a professor of theology and a campaigner again and a campaigner against protestant beliefs in the 1580s cornelius published a number of works uh, and in 1585, he moved to, when he moved to Trier, where he observed the witch trials taking place there. Cornelius first wrote letters to the city authorities, and failing that effort, he published a book in 1592, protesting against the hunt and questioning some of the beliefs of the witch hunters. So this is where it starts to take a bit of a turn. He attempted a publication of De Vera de Falsa Magica, which is true and false, ma- false magic, mm-hmm. um, offered... This offended a man by the name of uh, Petrus Binsfeld, um, who was a bishop at the time, and the deputy, um, Johann VI of von Schroberg, who is one of the highest-ranking officials in the Holy Roman Empire. So not only has yeah. he published it, it's um, it's been picked up by some big names. I think he was in my German one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, because at this point he's obviously in Germany. He's come yeah. from the Netherlands. So... Um, Quite good on him for pointing out that what they're doing is wrong, but also he's attracted some unwanted attention. So, unfortunately for him, before the book could be officially printed, the manuscript copy was seized and Cornelius was imprisoned. 
who was forced to make public recant- uh, recantations of his errors on his knees before an assembly of church officials. So I feel a bit sorry for him, but I feel yeah. he didn't really have a choice. Then in the years that followed, it was believed that the manuscripts had been burnt and destroyed in some way. However, nearly 300 years later, in 1886, when it, um, a man by the name of George discovered it, Although the title pages were missing and no author was listed, George was able to authenticate the document by comparing points made in the text with the points recounted in Cornelius' confession in the Inquisition. Mm. So, um, obviously, what he was forced to recount, obviously, when he was at that Inquisition, notes were taken at the time, and he was able to confirm that exactly what he recounted was exactly the same that was in this manuscript. Mm. So, that was good. So, obviously, the original survived. So I feel like it, Cornelius might have been clever enough that when he handed it over, he handed over the copy. <laughs> so I feel like this, that's how he got hidden. So in the manuscript, Cornelius argues against the existence of witchcraft and especially, um, especially against the validity of confessions obtained under torture. So mm. good on him. He's noticed something quite important. Yes. So after a canton, Cornelius was under constant watch by religious officials and was imprisoned multiple times for his views. Cornelius died on the 3rd of February 1595 in Brussels after succumbing to the plague. So he didn't die in prison, I don't think. I think he actually was out. Like, like, I think he served several sentences and got out and then I don't think it really stopped him. I think he carried on with his writings and he got put back in again. Good for him. So some had suggested, however, that if he hadn't died when he did, he was already already close to being put on trial again and executed by his nemesis, a priest by the name of Martin de Rio. So there was... There was another trial going on. Um, he was about to be entered into another trial again, or they were about to make an arrest. So I think he managed to escape a grisly death. Mm. Although I'm not entirely sure dying of the plague is the nicest things, but at least, I don't know, he got to die at home. Yeah. So maybe a bit nicer. Um, so there's an extra little note that I got, that even though obviously he wasn't the first to speak up against the witch trials, he was the first Catholic priest and uh, theologian to do so and officially write it in record. So he was a bit of a first, but also a last. <laughs> um, and his works later on would actually be restudied by other people at the time. So he sort of inspired a lot of other people to bring trials to an end. Mm. So he's a very important figure, I thought. So his trial, he, his trial was a bit different. It wasn't technically for witchcraft, but it was linked, every time he was imprisoned, it was linked with the witch trials and the fact that he didn't agree with them. So I thought he was a very important person and actually one worth mentioning. Yeah. Yeah, I also thought it was really interesting that he was actually a priest. So not only did yeah. he say something against it, like some of the others were obviously policemen or whatever. Um, he's be- he's what a priest should be. Yeah. Yeah. And like I said, so many, especially to be actually in it at the time, it's not even like he's sort of retired from it, if you no. like. He's actually in the middle yeah. of it. Um, and yeah, I, thought, I just thought it was, he was a very interesting character. Yeah, he is. And good for him for writing it all down. But yeah. So and he was punished for what he believed in but it was clearly something mm. he believed in so much that like maybe he hid the uh, manuscript yeah i think he was clever enough i like the fact yeah. that i do like to think it was the original copy that he hid yeah um, but i do like the fact that he was then arrested multiple times afterwards so i just like the fact it didn't stop him either yeah so, yeah good for yeah, him good for him so i thought he was one worth mentioning i thought this was a good episode to do because obviously we've only got one episode to go yeah after this which is our summary so i thought this was a good collection of little trials to add in because i feel like they're in, well they're all important yes but 
yeah, I feel like they were quite monumental in terms of, obviously, it depends who you want to believe as to whether they were the last or not. But however you want to look at them, they were quite important, obviously, in their own way. Yeah. And these were some quite important people. Yes, they are. But yeah, so I know hopefully everyone's enjoyed this so far. I have. It's been very informative. Yeah, like I said, they're all very different from each other. Yeah. And like Um, I said, that's like the... um, the first three that may be one that may be a hoax may yeah. not be that's it's just it's complicated isn't it we can't know all the trials that's why we haven't covered all the trials yeah. it's very hard to do but well that's why i tried to do this episode which was a combination yeah. of lots of little ones yeah. because i wanted to fit in as many as i could and mm. i try to go from an angle of get as many different ones in yeah. one go and it'll be lots of information that people have never heard about mm. before yeah, like I said, there's lots of this that I didn't know as we've gone mm. along. There's so much stuff I've picked up that I didn't know about. Yeah. But yeah, no, it's very interesting. Like I said, I thought that some of them were a bit different from the others that we've covered. So I thought it was worth mentioning them. Yes, they were. But yeah, so yeah, let us know. Hopefully everyone's been sort of enjoying the witch trials. But if you let us know on Instagram, um, is where we mainly use stuff. We have also got a Facebook and a TikTok, but we're mainly posting on Instagram. Um, so we're much more likely to see those messages first. Or you can send us a message directly from our website. Yes. Thegraveyardgirls.co.uk. So, um, yeah, so if not, or you can just comment on any of our posts that we've made on Instagram and we'll reply to you on there. So, yeah, hopefully you've enjoyed the episode. In the meantime, keep creeping and we'll keep digging.